Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 79th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interesting and entertaining interview I did with one of the most successful British female singers of the 1960s, Sandy Shaw, whose hits in that decade included There's Always Something There to Remind Me, Long Live Love, and Puppet on a String, with which in 1967 she became the first UK winner of the Eurovision Song Contest. In 1994, Sandy qualified as a psychotherapist, and three years later, she set up the Arts Clinic Psychotherapy Practice, which specialises in helping people in entertainment and the media. This interview took place in London in 2005, shortly after Sandy had presented Javine Hilton with a trophy for becoming that year's British entry for Eurovision, something Sandy told me she'd been nervous of doing. Why were you nervous? Well, because, you know, the whole thing about... Um, I, I've not been involved with Eurovision for ages because it so, has become, in Britain, rather tacky. And um, I don't see it as being tacky at all. I see it as something quite different. I get incredibly upset by the way that they take the piss out of it. I like the camp and kitsch party aspect of it, and like you know, when you sort of everybody gets together and you know dresses up for the you know for the big the big European one. But um, I love Europe, and I love all the different countries, and I love all the different cultures, and I know how much it means to them to be involved in it. And I don't see why England feels it's so superior in that way to take the piss. It's not just that. I think Terry overdoes it. Terry Wogan overdoes it, taking the piss. Did you have a word with him? No, I didn't have a word with him. It's just that it's just not. Why take the piss? We sell less records in this country than they do in Germany and France, and their record industries are thriving. Ours is dying. What have we got to feel so superior about? And I know. I think people do go abroad, and they they actually like and know the people in Spain and France and they feel some empathy towards them and so I don't think people like to take the piss either and it's just such a great opportunity it's like football do you know that when we can have this big TV experience and I like it now that we've got all the Eastern Bloc involved um, because they just are so enthusiastic about the whole thing and to have that fresh enthusiasm in Europe is great what did you think of our entries, then, that, that were decided on Saturday? I didn't hear them before. Oh, OK. And I didn't hear them on the night. I just told, when I was actually reading out the results, mm. they were doing clips. And um, I, I can't remember any of the songs at all. Can you? No. Can you? That's the problem. I, I mean, um, whereas everyone, even kids today, would still know the words to pop it on a screen. Yeah, well, I've won. That's, she's got a long way yeah. to go yet to win. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that maybe a few more weeks, but I think even after that, it's not going to be memorable. Whereas your song sticks out and uh, is a classic. Well, I think they just did it in a different way in those days. They they picked somebody who they thought could interpret a song mm. and give it their best, and then they gave them, uh, say, six songs, and then the public chose which song they thought was mm. the best one. Um, but now, the I, 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 record industry isn't kind of involved and they just don't. Because, because it's being put down by the TV industry mm. and made it look like tack, the record industry feels that they don't want to be involved. Mm. So they don't send the best. They mm. just send because they would be, they're ashamed to be associated with it. Mm. As I say, I just think it's kind of disappointing because it's, it's an amazing opportunity. First as a 
as a piece of entertainment that we can all share. And secondly, for somebody to actually not... I don't think kick-start their career, because I don't think it's fair to do that. I think you need somebody fairly accomplished to do it. But we don't send... You know, like, where, we, we write incredible songs here. Where were they? Where are all these incredible songwriters? They just don't want to be associated with it. So... Might um, you get more involved in the UK entry in the future if you were asked to? I'd like to go around to Michael. I know Michael Grade from I used to, you know, when I was a kid, but I'd love to go around and see him and say, hey, Michael, you know, you've got the government breathing down your neck. This really is like... You've got to look at all your programmes, including this one. Because you're not doing it like the BBC should be doing it. What would you do to change it then? How would you do it? I won't tell you now, I'll go and tell him around his office. Oh, <laughs> you do it like this. No, but I'm not sure that I, I will, but I mean, I, I'd like to see it change. I'd like somebody to take it on. Not change, just just respect the opportunity, that's all. And Terry Wogan told him that he was surprised to see you there, and you, and you said, uh, I'm cured. What did he mean by that? That I'm cured? Mm. Well, because I, I was been ambivalent about it for so long, because Puppet on the String is not my best song. But I kind of got to the point where, about two, three years ago, I have a friend called Howard Jones, who has all his own hits and stuff. But I was popped around his studio once to say hi, and he was playing on the keyboards, these really groovy kind of chords. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's really nice. He said, yeah, it's got a melody like this. Did you try it? I started singing it, and like the manager says, it's got words. He says, yes, and it suddenly turned out to be puppet on a string. But he completely rearranged the whole thing, and it became incredibly kind of poignant and mm-hmm. kind of sad, and like the lyrics suddenly made sense, and the music suddenly was good. And then he did this kind of, really kind of a William Orbit kind of arrangement, arrangement with it. And we've got a recording of it for our, it's for me, so I call it my cure. <laughs> And I sang it with my heart, and I really yeah. enjoyed doing it. And it's, it's incredible. It was how I would present the song. Yeah. And, uh, and that was my cure. I, thanks to Howard, I'm cured. Yeah. So um, it took that, because I had to actually do the song in a more... I just had to approach the song in a more soundy way. But now I just see it as a song that lots of people can relate to, and it's, it's fine by me. It's not, it's not a problem, I don't... So it was more the song than the competition which sort of put you off? Well, in those days, the competition was a bit naff because it was all grey suits and grey hair. And um, they were desperately trying to shake off that themselves here yeah. in the BBC. They are trying to shake off that whole thing and trying to modernise a bit by picking somebody like me to mm. represent them. So they'd made that step, in <laughs> theoretically... <laughs> But the actual, the sort of like the, the rest hadn't come along with it, mm. so it was kind of a bit of a learning curve for them. So for me to be surrounded by a load of middle-aged men mm. was not, you know, what I would call a fun experience. But that was how it was there. How would you say winning Eurovision affected your career? Um, I think it gave me something to rebel about. <laughs> the song, you know, I had something to have a gripe about. Right. It had good and bad effects. I was already famous in Europe, which is why they picked me. It mm-hmm. didn't do my... Uh, it took me quite a while in some countries to actually overcome the puppet effect because mm-hmm. I was considered cool and groovy up mm-hmm. to that point. Mm-hmm. But then there were good things. that um, I think it was that year they had the technology to, for it to go over because they, they were, had access to my songs through radio 
um, on the other side of the Iron Curtain, but they hadn't actually seen me perform. Mm -hmm. And so that year, technology was such that they could get me. So um, then I was invited straight away to go to Czechoslovakia, which was the first country to start, you know, easing up. And then I went to all the other countries one by one, which was incredible. I was like the first artist to go there. There hadn't been a pop artist there. It was great because I was, like, um, denounced by every political newspaper. (laughs) And it was great being denounced. Especially after sort of like having been gone, gone straight with puppet on one side here, and the other side I'm being denounced and being groovy again. So it was um, it, that for for me that was the best experience about it, and I and I I feel part of the change that shift that cultural shift that happened in Europe at that time because it, it does come through culture and music did play a huge part in actually bringing young people together at that time. They, because they didn't have those kind of um, well, I've got cool radar that we had over here. They just wanted to be associated with other young people that were thinking the kind of things that they were thinking about. So the whole student movement was was open. Just they just wanted to connect. So for me, it was it, it, for that was my, my the best bit that happened to me. When you said you were cured of the Eurovision thing, I mean, some people might say on a broader level that you're cured from the point of view of your your previous reservations towards your career in general. You used to sort of be a bit iffy about your Sandy Shaw years, as it were. Um, Is that the case, generally? What do you mean, iffy about... Well, you weren't that keen on talking about it or, you know, continuing in the business and so on. Oh, no, 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 it's not like that. I just, I'm, I'm a recording artist, and I mean, by that I mean a recording artist. I'm not a recording format. So I don't want to repeat myself. So if I feel I have nothing new to say, then I disappear and do something in another area where I feel I've got something to say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to waste people's time <laughs> on my own. It's just, it's, and I know that you're not supposed to be like that. You're just supposed to keep churning things out and churning more product out. Why should I? I can do other things. So I'm not. I don't have that imperative that maybe a, another person might have that chooses to sing or. What's the situation with regard to recording from now on, do you think, as far as you're concerned? Me? Yeah. I couldn't do that now. I could never be somebody like that. Now it's different. It's all to do with celebrity, and I just can't play that game. It's just impossible for me. Well, do I don't want anybody looking in. You know, I don't want... I, my private life is not for sale. Mm-hmm. You think that would be yeah, necessary? Yeah, absolutely. Right. To be a recording artist, you, you, have, you can't be a recording artist. You have to be a product... However good you are, you still have to be. It affects classical singers now as well. Uh, other people like it. They like sharing like that. And mm. I'm just not that... I don't want to. So you must I, be, I love my enigma. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> so you must be glad you started when you did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you consider yourself a pioneer? Is that how you've regarded yourself? Um, well, I suppose musicians in the 60s were pioneers because the record industry in this country, anyway, didn't exist. And um, so it was built on our efforts because the people actually run the companies then had no idea that it was going to be so huge. I didn't. Mm. I wasn't making records thinking that they were going to last 50, 60 years. Well, actually, in this case, it's 40 years. But I never thought they'd... They were just something that I wanted to do at the time. But as I say, the business didn't... There was no such business as the record business before that. 
Did that make it more exciting, do you think? Oh, yeah. Whereas today you kind of would it's know. Sta- it's already exists now, so what yes. are you going to do? It's, it's at the stage yeah. where, um, you know, in countries, it's a bit like everybody discovers the country and like they're all in there and then suddenly they've got the cables in there and they've got, you know, the mobile phones in there and da da da. And it's country's boring, aren't they? I'm not interested in it anymore. I'm interested in it before they've got the roads down. Yeah. I like to be part of actually plotting out where the road's going to be. Otherwise, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm um, that kind of person. I, I, I love starting things off, and I'm happy to leave it for somebody else to nurture it and look after it and develop it. I'm on to the next thing. I think it's important to know that about yourself. Otherwise, you get unhappy. There's lots of people who are good at finishing off. As a, as, a, as a human being, let alone a psychotherapist, you must have done a lot of thinking back and wondering why and everything else. What, have you ever come to a conclusion as to why you were chosen as expert? Why did I choose myself? Why did I choose this life? Do you think that's how it works, do you? Do um, you? I think life is a matter of choices, yeah. I mean, I can choose to be, you know, to do that, but you can choose to listen to me or not, so it's kind of like a mutual. I, mean, I could want to be a pop star with I don't have the talent, that's tough luck. Yeah, but unless you make a choice that that's what you want to be and you want to do something first about it, you're never going to know, are you? So it has to come both ways. I have to make the choice that I want to try doing it and then somebody else has to make the choice that they want to listen to it. But it does start with me taking the first action. Yeah, on the other hand, (laughs) you were blessed with a great voice and great looks and uh, but may, you know maybe people it wasn't I could have tried and maybe it wouldn't have been to people's taste so that's their choice that's how they come back it's kind of like it goes back and forward so I love I'm very interested in the way that, that an artist and the audience actually grow and evolve together it's a really you can't do it without the audience they kind of like almost intimate where you go they become like the mirror and it's like a special dance that happens between an artist and the audience and that's why I, I like listening to artists like their work, like a body of work, because you can see which way they go. And the ones that are more confident, their audience will follow them. They take the bigger leaps. And sometimes even leaping where they think maybe the audience isn't going to follow them. So um, I'm kind of interested in looking at it all the way across rather than just a couple of records and one album. Were you from a musical family? A musical family. Were they quite uh, musical? Yeah, my my, my mother's family were very into um, entertainment. My mother sang all the time. Um, Every Sunday, no, Saturday night, we used to go out to the local social. Everybody, all my aunties and uncles and everybody, nobody got up and sang at some point. But I was very shy, I would never have done that. It's funny how many performers are desperately shy. How can you explain that? I can't. Well, it's some because it's, it's um, well because I'm not a performing artist. I'm a recording artist, okay. and I'm much more at home in the studio than I am on stage. Mm. I can do the stage thing, but I am so anxious that I'm not at my best, and it takes. I have to really work at it to get to the point where I'm not that anxious. Whereas that level of anxiety is not there in the studio mm. because I'm not. And it's just me and, I don't know, me and, me and the world, but in a safe place. And I think that kind of work suits people like me. And somebody like a Robbie Williams is more on, uh, happy in the other, in the outside arena. It just depends if you're an introvert or an extrovert, and I'm more of an introverted artist. 
and that's what makes you anxious is it being introverted and sort of no it doesn't I mean what makes me anxious is 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 working in that kind of environment because I have to feel very I get to the point where I feel comfortable it takes a while for me to feel comfortable with people but it takes a while and I can't just dip in and out of it I have to do like I have to start and it takes me like over six months to get up to the point where I can walk onto a show like on Saturday and not feel frightened Whereas, actually, it didn't take long. I just walked on and I just felt, as soon as I was on, I felt fine. I was just, as I say, I wanted to do a show instead of Terry. So it just took a few seconds, which, which kind of surprised me that it would be that quick. When you step into situations like that, are you stepping back in time at the same time? Suddenly it all comes flooding back, what it was like to be on these TV shows and things? Oh, no, I don't think so. I think it's the kind of artist that I am. I'm not a formatted artist. I, I, I work sponta- spontaneously. Even when I do an interview, I haven't got anything at all prepared in my head. Everything is completely spontaneous, because that's how I like to be. And I'm asked if I'm going to be something that I don't like being at my age. I think it's because I don't know what's going to happen. There is, there is some things that I know will happen, is that I will walk on, and I will walk in that line, and that light will be there, and that person will say, hello, Sandy, nice to see you, we hope. <laughs> might turn his back on me and ignore me but that's not I don't believe that is going to happen but up to that point I know I don't really know what's going to happen after that I don't know how I'm going to feel when I'm on there I don't know how that person I might look at and I might decide to do that or I might decide. I don't have a formula and that is why I like working in a studio is because you can work in the moment and you're free to do that when you were a young kid, did your parents have any predictions for you? Did anyone say to you, you have something special about you? There is nothing special about me. There's did something... No, no, wait, pardon? Did anyone say that? No. no. Well, there's no... You know, everybody has something special. Once they're in a special circumstances, that mm-hmm. special thing comes out. Mm-hmm. But you have to get yourself in a special circumstance, which is comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Isn't it so? Well, I understand that. But, I mean, you know, nonetheless, some people get sort of spotted or... Spotted. Well, they hear your voice. Well, that's what happened to uh, to Gloria Gaynor recently. She was singing on a staircase, and somebody was underneath the staircase and heard her and spotted her. Wasn't she lucky? Somebody was underneath that staircase. (laughs) It's so lucky, isn't it? It's so lucky that you get heard at the time where you want Mm. to be heard. It's not so much being special. It's like having. It is that just being there and that other that mutual thing. You've got to make that action. That says, I want to be heard. But then somebody's got to also come and hear it at the right time and say the right thing. um, I I used to sing in bands when I was a a kid, when I was at school. And I I did a talent contest in local, and then I just ended up in a show in in London with Adam Faith on it and the Hollies on it. And um, I was just so happy to be on a show with these cool geezers, you know. So I, yeah, I hadn't thought about it any more than that. But I did take that action to sing on that show and they responded in the way that they chose to respond, which is encouraging, and especially Adam, to sort of co-manage me, in fact, for three four years. Do you ever wonder what would have happened if you hadn't met him, how your career would have progressed? I don't think it would have done, not, but I think, I, I just, I don't know, I, I really don't know. I just liked the way it was. Mm. Why should I worry about what didn't happen? Fair enough. <laughs> How did you feel when we lost him a couple of years ago? Was it a big blow to you personally? Um, I hadn't seen him for an awfully long time. And then I was celebrating getting my, all my copyrights back yeah. and um, signing the deal with EMI. 
And I went out to the Ivy with my friend Tris, who was going to produce all the new stuff, just to celebrate. I never go to the Ivy, but I just thought, oh, that's what you said, a showbiz thing to do, isn't it? So I thought, we have to go there. And on the next table, Adam Faith was sitting, and I hadn't seen him for I can't remember, decades. And he was, he just I couldn't, he just got up from the table and just came racing over. And just sat, and it was the most lovely, lo- I couldn't have scripted it, but it was just so nice. He was saying to Tris, oh, I'm so pleased you're working with her, and he was so proud of me, and he was so proud of his involvement. And then he was saying, um, Sandy, I've lost all my money. And I said, I didn't realise what he was saying, and I said, can you remember where you left it? Oh. And, like, and he said, see, she doesn't change. <laughs> And uh, then we had this conversation about it, and he'd said, you know, I'm, I know you mentioned Buddhism to me mm. ten years ago. He said, I think I'm ready now. So I said, okay. And he, gave, he said, here's my mobile number. Please ring me, and we'll, we'll just get together, because I can never remember my own mobile number. So he said, well, we'll, um, we'll, we'll get together, and perhaps you can help me with this. Mm. And then a few weeks later, he died. And I hadn't had time to ring him. And it was... I was so pleased we'd had that lovely yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. It was like so... It just made me feel so... That everything was so right. Yeah. And I think I, I, at the funeral, lots of people said things like that happened, where he kind of round, rounded things off with people, and he was... See, Terry was... Adam Faye was never that vulnerable with me, because he was always the big grown-up that... He was the one that started me off, you know. He was the one that suggested I do make my own records. You know, they want to, don't want to do them. We know what we want to do. You do it yourself. He was the one that did this and made all these things possible for me. Mm. And do you ever wonder what else you might have done had you not gone into the entertainment business, become a singer? I would have been a different kind of artist, I think. I don't think I would have. Maybe not in an in, in, in industry. Mm. I don't know. I probably would have been a, a failed artist. Mm. How long did it take you... A painter? (laughs) How long did it take you before you became secure as as an artist? Or does one never feel that when you're... No, you don't. If you're an artist, you never feel secure. It's always becoming. It's never... You don't live on your laurels. You always... Your next record. It's not a record, just for the next thing you do. I live as an art. I live Mm. as an artist. I don't live as just a record artist. I try Mm. and live in that kind of creative way. So... You're just kind of not living on what happened yesterday. You're more on what's going to happen now. Mm. How am I going to make this moment really great? So, no, I don't think like that. Mm. Sorry. When you first, you know, had success and people got to know you, was that quite scary? Because, as we said, there's not many people who've done it before you and there's no-one really to turn to to say, what's this like? How do I deal with this? I think it was incredibly scary. Mm. In fact, I don't know how I got through it, to be quite honest. And I spent a lot of time on my own without any manager at all. I, mm. When I went on the continent, continent, I call it continent. Sounds cute, doesn't it? And anyway, when I went on the continent, I went with my band, and I was the one that had to deal with everything. You know, I had to make sure that they, the contracts were signed. I had to make sure that the money was paid. I was often paid cash. Um, I had huge arguments with the mafia because I wouldn't play for them unless I'd signed the contract before I left London. Mafia. Well, because if you work in Italy and you go down south. Oh, this is in the in the sixties, yeah. in the seventies. It's not. I don't know what it's like now. Mm. But um, if you go down south, they'll find out you've got a contract with so and so, blah blah blah, and they would come and demand that you sing for them the next night. And of course, I would say no. I don't mm. sing for anybody without you know. You need a proper contract. I don't know you're going to pay me. Mm. 
And so I, and this is like, I'm 19. And so my manager wouldn't come with me to deal with all that. I had to deal with that myself. I mean, if the, if the guitarist lost his guitar on, you know, on, in transit, it's my problem to deal with. And we didn't, I didn't have a road manager or anything like that. I had somebody that actually packed everything up and got it from A to B, but didn't have all the trappings that people have now. And so um, I, I, I was kind of living very, I don't know, had lots of things to deal with moment by moment. And um, I don't know how I did it, to be quite honest. Did you get to know your contemporaries, uh, like Tudor Clark and Dusty Springfield, at all, or were they just ships that passed in the night from the occasional event? I, I don't know how to explain it. I feel a very profound relationship with Pet Clark, Silla Black, Lulu, Dusty, because we were part of something that women were, were experimenting with, and we shared lots of similar experiences in, a similar, in, in that same time. I wouldn't say that then that we, we were friends, but because we all had our own individual careers, nobody spent that much time with each other. I don't ever feel that I felt any competitiveness no. toward them, and I don't think it was reciprocated, because I think we all felt very confident in our own niche. Which each one was very different. But I saw Scylla um, a couple of days ago at the Palace, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. I saw her at Buckingham Palace, and um, she'd come on her own because you had, the Queen invites you on your own. It's their soirees, they're not. Mm-hmm. And so we both don't go out on our own. Mm-hmm. You know, you just don't, you're just too vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I'd actually asked the chairman of EMI to take me because I said, I'm not going unless you come with me. And so. But she actually did come on, and she walked in on her own, and I was at the entrance, and I just made a beeline straight for her, and said, isn't it awful being asked on your own? She said, oh, yes, she said, I said to Robert, can't I get somebody to come with me? I knew exactly how she was feeling, how exposed that she felt, and um, because I I feel the same. And um, I just feel this really special connection with her. Um, I don't have anything in common with her from an artistic or a musical point of view, but... As a woman, I, I really, I like her. Yeah. I have incredible empathy for her and for, and for Lulu and all those people. So when you are with these people, are you nostalgic with them or do you... No, do you we talk about our kids and... Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, so and so got the, low, you know, the recent gossip with yeah. whoever. But, uh, what did the Queen say to you? That's what we're doing. Most people would imagine that that was the best time of your life, the most exciting time. Would they be right? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I suppose there is, for everybody, that time is exciting anyway, so adolescence and early 20s and 30s even. But, um, any, but how old are you? 43. Ah, well, it gets better. I'm a lot older than you. I'm 15 years older than you. And um, when I was 43, I had no idea it was going to get even better. And, um, yeah, it does. If you start off right, you end up right, you know. Starting is kind of important. That's why I'm just interested in starting, because I know you get the foundations of things right. right. If you get that bit right, if the road's in the right place, the trees are all lined up, everything is to, is fine after that. So what was There's, the foundation that you set down? I have no idea. Just, I, I, think, I, I think I've always been into integrity. That's why I had so, many, so much difficulty, because I wasn't very good at expressing it when I was younger. Right. But I've always tried to maintain what I thought was my idea of it in whatever unsophisticated fashion I mm. was able to do. 
But do you think you appreciated those times? Because nonetheless, they were very exciting times. Do you think at the time you appreciated it? Of course I did. Have you always? No, I think I appreciate the time, sort of being young and involved and in an exciting part of what was happening. So yeah, no, you appreciate it at the time. But I like now. I mean, now is really great. You can and, and to be able to look back at things and have an historical perspective on things and an understanding of change because you've lived through incredible changes. I think with that century, that last half of it was just wow, bang, bang, bang. With particularly, you know, technology bringing people together and cultures forced to have some kind of relationship with each other. So much changed. And to be to able to look over it from a historical perspective is really exciting for me. Especially when people say, you know, things are never going to change, and yeah. da, 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 and I said, well, look at Berlin Wall. When I was young, <laughs> it was this really boring story. Because, but you could be really confident that things can change. Do you think the 60s have been over-glamorised, over-rated? No. No, I think they were a really important decade, actually, yeah. Yeah. And everyone always associates them with drugs and things. You never fell down that slippery slope. But drugs? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Beatles were experimenting. I did do drugs until I was well into my 30s. And then I didn't do it much. I'm not, I don't do drugs. I'm, I'm off with affairs anyway. I just I need, I need stabilising rather than opening up. I'm fine. Did you never feel kind of obliged being in that circle at that time? No, I never feel obliged to do anything. You don't know me very well, do you? I'm very difficult to pressure, pressurise. So you've always been very independent-minded, I mean, even as a youngster singing in public and so on. Do you think that made you grow up very fast? Because, I mean, most 17-year-olds are not terribly mature, but clearly you... No, I think it gives you a reputation sometimes. People get quite frightened of you. But then on the other hand, they all say that, but it's great because we know where we stand. I don't take a stance ever just to be difficult. I just really believe in it. So at least they know that it's something I believe in. And I will listen to you know whatever they have to say. And if it challenges my belief and my belief then crumbles, I'll admit it. But I'm just, I, I, I think it's really important to... For me, it's really important to have that belief and to fight for it, whatever it might be. If you could go back in time, would you change much about your early career? I would have had my bunion seen to. <laughs> Is that why you were always barefoot? <laughs> <laughs> they've, never pro- they've never been a problem to me, they don't hurt or anything, but I think nowadays I look and I think, oh, I should have had my feet done, so I wouldn't have had them done now. Can you describe us why you went barefoot in the first place? Because I, I just did. I've always been. Right. Uh, it's just what I do. I hate wearing right. shoes. Even now, I think it's. Well, I can't wait to get them off. Did you never suffer as a result of spending so much time with your feet exposed and you know, no. The and no, it's, and it's, it's only shoes that mm. make my feet suffer. Right. So you're not wearing them unless you have to. Then. Exactly. When it's very cold. And did you ever get asked to advertise? Well, I don't know, muscle colour or anything like that, or foot cream or, or shoes or socks or anything like that, because of you being so notorious for... Uh, mostly glamour products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I don't do advertising mm. either. I haven't. Did you ever do any photographs? in? Because I know you did quite a bit of modelling. Did you ever do any photographs that you regretted? Or no. did you ever turn down any shoots that you kind of thought... No, no. I used to like doing photographic work, in mm. particular... Um, 
a particular um, photographers for a time, and then I got bored with that, and then mm. on with something else. But there was a time when I really enjoyed it, and used to play games about how many front pages or how many double middle page spreads we could get. And other times, just trying to get work with somebody where um, Im- imagery and symbolism was really important, and to actually be able to do that kind of work was quite fun to do. But it's gets on your nerves after a while because mm-hmm. you have to wear your makeup all the time. Uncomfortable. Were, <laughs> were you offered money to get your kit off by any magazine? I don't believe that. Why on earth would anybody want to do that? Well, I don't know, lots of celebrities are. Don't you see because you're only 43? People don't do that sort of thing. If you've got talent, people don't ask you to do that. I think people do different things to get attention. Yeah. I sing for attention. Yeah. And people think it's enough. Absolutely. So, <laughs> don't get me wrong. How do you view your songs now? I mean, some artists that I've talked to talk about them as like their children almost. They view them as their children. How do you view them, your songs? Very naughty children. Why? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's been good and bad to me. Why? I'm really joking. And I'm teasing you. Right. Sorry. That's all right. But um, this is where you practice your psychotherapy, isn't that right? Not here. Oh, okay. Downstairs is the clinic. What, what got you interested in that profession in the first place? Maybe I'd worked with the Smiths, and from that I started doing the kind of tours I'd always wanted to do. I did a load of university tours, mm-hmm. started getting meeting lots of students and mm-hmm. going backstage, and then working seemed to be working with young people a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a book about it. And after writing the book, I think well, I really want to indulge my curiosity about people and how they tick. So then I went to university, and then I trained to become a psychotherapist, and then I worked mostly with adolescents, then I worked with students, and then I found myself working on a performing arts campus, and feeling that then suddenly I thought, well, this is ridiculous, this is something I know a lot about, I should do this in a different environment. And so I joined up with this PBCS, which is a, a consultant psychiatric clinic, and there, because I wanted it to be very pucker, and I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be something that people could trust. And then I started bringing together therapists that had some background in the creative industries that we were, wanted to work in this particular area, uh, and it just kind of happened. We just got a reputation immediately for being discreet and business-like and professional in the way we handled things. Do you think, in a way, you were trying to set up the kind of setup that you could have, could have had, could have had? People didn't do things like that in those days. No, but you kind of, did you kind of wish they had? You're kind of mm. providing a service. That no, because be I couldn't have done it and been original now, could I? Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> it's only who had done it before, then I couldn't have done it. Um, no, no, it's just it's right for the time. Because anybody can have ideas. I mean, ideas of ten a penny. Actually, putting the ideas in the right place at the right time is very difficult, and getting to see them through from beginning right the way through to the end is is very hard. So I always admire filmmakers because in the original idea, it takes years to actually get it to the point where it's receiving its Oscar, Mm -hmm. and you have to be really tenacious and really patient and really believe in something, even when nobody else does, for a long, long time. To what extent did you feel you were taking a risk, taking a gamble? On what? On moving into a field such as this. A gamble? I don't know what you mean. Well, it's quite a step into the unknown from what you've done before. But why stay on 
comfortable territory. I mean, I don't. It's more comfortable for me to move forward in some way and ex- explore my what I'm interested in. I'm not terribly interested in what you know. If somebody else does it in a certain way. I'm trying to find out what suits me. Mm-hmm. I encourage everybody else to be like that. It looks as if, from from what I've read, that you've kind of been wanted to attract sort of fellow artists or performers, recording artists, and so on. Is that the idea? So because you you know where they've come from and you understand. No, I work with all the industries mm-hmm. because there's no. You just see the person at the front. But I see the whole team that actually gets that, that person is the tip of the iceberg. It's the whole of everybody. Mm-hmm. So I work with all the record companies and all the management companies. And um, I don't just see artists. We see, we see everybody. Sometimes we have in the room somebody representing every different facet of what's going on of the team to get them a bit more aware and work a bit more creatively with each other. Even, you know, a theatre company one would do that with, one would do that with film production companies when does you do it with um, a band with if, if it is in conflict at some point do you help them actually kind of resolve it in a more kind of creative more constructive way for everybody do you tend to deal with groups of people rather than individuals no individual? well you work with a group and with the individual some you know mm-hmm. and I wouldn't if you no and I to be quite honest for while I'm doing the Sandy Shaw thing, I don't do anything. It's the other therapists that do it because right. I can't do two at the same time. I, yeah. I, it needs one's full attention, mm-hmm. and I, I can't do both. Is like Sandy Shaw a separate entity to you? Is that how you view no, it? No, no, it's just a different way of looking at things. You know, mm-hmm. As, when I'm Sandy Shaw, I have to really promote Sandy Shaw. That's what I have to look mm-hmm. after. And when I'm with somebody looking after it, if I'm a therapist, their interest is at the foremost of my mind. They come absolutely first. And so my ego is kind of subservient to theirs. It's kind of how, that's how I experience my ego. It's quite differently. And with this one, it's like I'm very, I'm responsible. I'm kind of lead person that leads it. So it, it's just a different way of, just a different mode of being. And it's quite difficult to do interviews like this all day when I, I'm desperate to ask you about your life and I can't. So, but you know, it's like, it's, so, but I have to be in the, like the mode of like feeling, okay, I'll, I'll talk about me and then, then as soon as this is over, I can get back to, you know, doing what I really, what I really like. What I, actually, I think I probably prefer doing, which is talking with other people and, and listening and, and taking on and finding out things. I'm really curious. And um, I'm always surprised by people and nicely, pleasantly surprised. How does this compare in terms of satisfaction for you as a human being, you know, doing this kind of work and doing Sandy Shaw kind of work? I, I like doing all of it. I mean, I just I couldn't do just one thing. I just like a mix. Oh. <laughs> I like a, you know, small book because it's just more challenging that way. How often are you Sandy Shaw these days? At the moment, every day I wake up in the morning, I have Sandy Shaw and I think mm. about, oh, what time's makeup coming? Mm. <laughs> that's serious. Uh, that's serious. Mm. Serious. That's my first thought. What mm. time's makeup coming? Because I have to get and go and have a shower before. Mm. I just. <laughs> and, and have you been made lots of big money offers to return and perform on stage? Do big money I'm always being asked to do things I have done for a long time, which is very nice. I really do like being asked to the party, but I don't always go. Uh, is, there, is there any amount of money that will persuade you to return? No, it's never, money's never a motivation, as far as I'm concerned. I have more than enough. I'm very satisfied with what I have. I'm not a greedy girl. <laughs> what, what would persuade you to? Nothing. I don't, I don't know. 
I have no idea. Nothing has so far. You wouldn't rule it out, though? I think I would, yes. I, as I say, I, I couldn't do the celebrity bit. It's just mm. not... I, I, just, I couldn't and I wouldn't. Mm. It doesn't interest me at all. You're very associated with this country, with Britain. How Do you think? Do, well, I think so. People talk about Britpop. Tattoo. Yeah. Union Jack tattooed on my yeah. bum. Yeah, almost. Um, how do you feel about this nation now? And, and you know, I think you live mostly in France, don't you? And how, how do you view the UK now? I always feel British wherever I go. It's really mm. strange. But um, I don't like living in the same country as that Tony Blair's running. I find that very difficult, really difficult. And I think I probably spend more time in France because they didn't support him and Bush. I, I marched for the first time in years. I was on the, with my, my family. It was one of the most fantastic times that my family actually felt strong enough to do it too. My kids couldn't understand what we used to march about when I was in the 60s, but they instinctively understood. In fact, they suggested it. And I think, oh, yeah. And uh, I marched and was astonished that he A didn't listen to the and then and then he continued with these lies yeah. after lie after lie. And like you can do all these inquiries with all these like fixed results, but people still don't believe him. And I, I need to believe in somebody, especially when it comes to something as serious as war. And I find that really perplexing. And I kind of, I go, when I go to France, it kind of helps it a bit. And I come back here feeling sort of renewed and everything. I felt so ashamed of that, that somebody would do that in my name. And I feel really angry that somebody could think that we're all so stupid and could be pushed around like this. Have Sorry, that, I mean, this, uh, this, we don't know where that came from, but I mean... Do you have a fancy politics? Have you going in there and actually being able to do something about it? No, there's a few EU, EU laws I want to change to do with copyright, which I'm going to be working on this year, mm-hmm. but that's the boring end of it, as mm-hmm. far as the General Republic are concerned. Mm-hmm. But no, I've never fancied going into politics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. I read your website from time to time, and you, you have some, you're able to express your views, and you know you've got a good audience out there. Is that... Give you some satisfaction? You feel you I, well, I feel I'm free to express them because I'm not a politician, because yeah. I'm not anything. I'm just somebody expressing my views and I'm not mm-hmm. doing tirades or standing up in public mm-hmm. doing it. My website is not a commercial one. It's not mm-hmm. a record company one like everybody else. It's mm-hmm. just my my thing. And it's people's choice whether they want to log on or not. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel entitled to put on my own bloody website Absolutely. what the hell I like. It's, it's just me. Okay. How I feel and what I think about mm-hmm. things. So... Sometimes I have a tirade, and sometimes I, sometimes I just talk about something kitsch or camp yeah. that Your month. Your gallstones came up last year. My gallstones, yes. <laughs> I was offered money for those gallstones. You were never. I was too. Really? I was. Just I don't know where it all came from. It's just like this thing they were bidding for it. Why anyway, they? I don't know where. I just learned that they were amongst themselves. Really? We're bidding for it. So we've moved on from there. Do you still have quite a lot of fans that were with you right from the start? I have. I get the most lovely messages on my website. <laughs> They're really interesting. <laughs> I have really nice fans. They have all different kinds of interests, and they do really kind of... And they're funny as well. So um, sometimes, I, if I fancy, I reply, and sometimes I don't reply. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a hodgepodge. But, um, and every now and again, I dip into the forum... But it's mostly they want to have a personal email. If I feel like it, I always respond. Why not? I, 
I, I love that relationship there is. Why don't you move back to England? <laughs> I do live in England. I live in Oxfordshire. I live oh, okay. in Oxfordshire, London and France. Okay, what percentage in each place generally? Third, third, third. Do you think you've been given the respect that you deserve? Oh, yeah. You do? Nowadays, people are just, are just fantastic. I'm just really happy with the way people are with me. Yeah. But I think, you know, I respect other people as well. I think a lot of it comes from that. Get else, I think, what you put into it, and if you go around being disrespectful of other people, it doesn't mean you have to like them, it doesn't mean you have to think their work is great or whatever. But I think respect is really important. And long after you left this planet, how would you like to be remembered by people? I don't think I will be, I don't know, I'm not particularly interested. (laughs) I don't care, (laughs) I don't care. When I've gone, I would like the people that know me to actually know me to hold me in their hearts and that's enough for me. What about musically then? How do you like to be remembered musically? I don't mind. I'll be dead. <laughs> it won't affect me at all. Your family. <laughs> yeah, but they know me so as I say mm. they'll carry me in their heart. Mm. But if people, I'm happy if they want to do that mm. but it's not going to affect me because mm. as I say I'll be dead. Okay. But it, you know, it's their, it's their choice. I'm mm. quite more than happy mm. if they want to play my records. Mm. <laughs> I don't mind, even if that one they can do it, they can dance on my grave to it, I don't mind. <laughs>